I was like, I'll just try it out. Like, it can't hurt. Why not get better at at the mental part? And so I sat down and, and in terms of like Olympic points, I wasn't in a great place. I was doing okay. I think I was like the third American. And that's when, uh, you know, I think she really helped me out. In ter- like I started panicking. I'm like, all these points, I got to get a top 20 at least, at least. I have to get a top 20. She's like, forget about the outcome. And so, so much of my career, even even in uh, as a high school runner, college track track and field, I was so focused on the outcome and always being like, I want to be top three. I want to be top ten. That would be a, that would be a great day or a successful day to be top five or whatever it is. And and then when you don't when you don't hit that goal, you feel like you didn't achieve, you didn't really get the most out of it, or you didn't hit your uh, you didn't hit your goal. So she just said, Hey, stop worrying about points and what place and, and have fun, like get down to the root of it all. And that's go out and have, enjoy the racing and express yourself and leave it all out on the field. If you can go out and, and give it everything you've got and not regret any decisions that you make on the course, then you will succeed. And regardless of the result, it, it'll be a good race. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and together with my co-host, BJ, we are on a mission to create a better world. We are waking up and shaking up the world of endurance sports by bringing meaningful conversations to you every week via this podcast and shining a bright freaking light on the irrevocable benefits of adding meditation and mindfulness to athletic training. This podcast shares stories of people who are stepping up their game by looking at where their opportunities lie, by pushing boundaries inside and outside of themselves, and by bringing their voice of truth to their life experience without apology. Never dim your light is what we say, and that, my friends, takes bravery. Today, we are bringing back one of our favorite triathletes to the show. Matt McElroy exemplifies the boundary-pushing, truth-seeking warrior I speak of. He is a person who is looking, finding, and living his purpose through the sport of triathlon and meeting new levels of excellence right in front of our eyes. Matt races relentlessly and with tenacity on the ITU circuit. When we first had Matt on the show a little over two years ago, he was still feeling quite new to the sport. Open to learning, Matt brought a beginner's mind to his craft, soaking up the knowledge and experience of his teammates and mentors. That was episode 93 of the YTP, launched in February 2018. So go back and have a listen to that one if you missed it. Today, we're going behind the scenes with Matt to find out what he's been brewing up in his magic shop of dreams, because whatever it is, it's working. Matt took his first podium spot at the WTS Leeds race this past season in what was described as one of the most competitive fields ever to gather for a WTS event, and finished his season with a hat trick of wins at ITU World Cups. Tongyong, Miyazaki, and Santo Domingo, all within a one-month span. As with the flow of life, Matt's 2019 season was not without challenge, and perhaps the high point of his career came off the heels of one of his darkest moments. Sounds like a good place to stop talking and dive in with a guy we are so grateful to have stayed in touch with over these past few years, and we're honored to bring him back to the community today. Matt, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks guys. <clears throat> thanks for having me. I'm we're, excited. Yeah, dude, we're so psyched. So we, you know, as you know, we've been staying in touch and dropping messages to each other here and there over the last couple of years. 
when you stood where I stand now in my kitchen two over two years ago, you said you were ready to make a statement. Yeah. Yeah. And- <laughs> I, I, like, you, like you mentioned, I was like in the learning stages of my career. I was just uh, kind of open to, you know, asking questions still and um, learning from mentors. And now I've kind of feel like I've got all the tools to exceed, succeed. <laughs> So how do you think that statement's been going that you wanted to make? I feel like I just, I really kind of showcased some of my talent and hard work last year. Maybe just, maybe just even a little bit. Like, I feel like I just, in terms of percentage, like 15% of what I'm actually capable of. And I think like any season, you're going to have ups and downs. Started the year with a, a pretty, pretty bad, uh, cr- not crash, but I sliced my toe open in Abu Dhabi. And so I went on to a couple more races, Australia, New Zealand, with my toe completely sliced open. So I wasn't actually able to run, and we super glued it. I ended up getting fourth the next weekend, and then went to New Zealand, and it was a beach start. I had to run into the water with a sliced open toe, and the toe just completely um, started bleeding. The, the uh, glue didn't work. And so, like, as that went on, you know, I... I wasn't having the results. I ended up getting 30th, 31st at Yokohama. That was my fourth race. And I wasn't having the results that I wanted to this past year until, until I got a sports psychologist. And this is where, in terms of mindset, things started to click for me, both physically and mentally. And as most people who are following along with my career, uh, Leeds was kind of that first week with a sports psychologist. I started the week prior and went into that race just so calm uh, with no pressure and just wanting to like find like kind of this simple goal of going out there and, and racing. Right. And, and not putting expectation. That was, that was last year. And that's where the shift in mindset and where things started taking off. Uh, two things. When, so what was the pull or draw to actually, you know, go in and, sit with a sports psychologist and take that, that route. And what was the first session? What was that first experience like sitting there with them? Yeah. So I work with a girl, Caroline, she's based out of the United States Olympic committee. Uh, she's paid by them being a USA triathlete, uh, being on the national team, you get, you get different, uh, opportunities to like use some of the resources. So like you get a, you get a budget to, for camps and, living and stuff like that and then you get like a you get like a budget for like sports psychologist massage i was this past year i was like okay i'm just gonna like sign up for everything i'm gonna check all the boxes off i'm gonna get i'm gonna get on top of my massage sports psychologist like all the little things right and i was like i'll just try it out like it can't hurt why not get better at at the mental part and so i sat down and and in terms of like olympic points i wasn't in a great place I was doing okay. I think I was like the third American. And that's when, uh, you know, I think she really helped me out. In terms, like I started panicking. I'm like, all these points, I got to get a top 20 at least, at least. I have to get a top 20. She's like, forget about the outcome. And so, so much of my career, even even in uh, as a high school runner, college, track, track and field, I was so focused on the outcome and always being like, I want to be top three. I want to be top 10. That would be a, that would be a great day or a successful day to be top five or whatever it is. 
and and then when you don't when you don't hit that goal, you feel like you didn't achieve, you didn't really get the most out of it, or you didn't hit your uh, you didn't hit your goal. So she just said, "Hey, stop worrying about points and what place and and have fun. Like get down to the root of it all, and that's go out and have enjoy the racing and express yourself and leave it all out on the field. If you can go out and and give it everything you got." and not regret any decisions that you make on the course, then you will succeed. And regardless of the result, it'll be a good race. I mean, this is one of the most ancient teachings in (laughs) yogic scripture is do the work for the sake of the work and not for the, not for the fruits of your labor, basically not for the result. And, and so we, we take that into more intellectual type languaging and we say it's the difference between a results oriented athlete and a process oriented athlete and what you find is when you're process oriented there's rewards all over the place and when you're results oriented there's a lot of pressure and there's one result it's either good or it's bad you either made it or you didn't make it when caroline said don't worry about the results like Oh, that's so nice to have that permission. But how did you stop the pressure? How did you stop the worry? What was that mental dialogue within yourself that helped you get more into the process of it and therefore enjoyment and therefore success? It, it, yeah, I think it, it, it was like letting go. Like, if that means anything, just like letting go of the fact that the Olympics, like almost just like giving up in a way. But, but in like a positive way, like if the Olympics don't happen, like it's not the end of the world. If you don't get a top 20, it's not the end of the world. But go out and race all out. And wherever that takes you, be proud of that result. I, th- I think it's, it's funny because like before that, I would show up to a race either in a good mindset or a bad mindset. And if I was in the right mindset, I was on the podium. If I wasn't in the right mindset, I wasn't even in the top 20. And I didn't notice, I didn't notice that. It wasn't like something that I would reflect on and, and take notice of until we kind of started dissecting it with Caroline. So yeah, just, just letting go of everything. And I, I, I started sleeping better that whole week. I, like I noticed that in training, everything's good. Like I'm hitting the times. I can get that confidence in a huge block, two months, one month of every day just hitting it you know 30 hours a week of training and then when you get to race week there's more pressure you're seeing you're seeing like Javier Gomez Mario Mola these guys who five years ago I was like watching triathlon live on the trainer going man you know one day I want to be there I want to be fighting with those guys for for the win and how do you not get caught up in that and like being wowed by everyone and being being feeling that pressure instead just like no i belong here you know this is just i'm going to i'm going to try to sleep better and 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 that's something that i've i've worked on is like listening to the app uh, i use the app calm which which really helps me and getting on a good sleep schedule going to bed early waking up early and not really not letting <clears throat> that pressure keep you up at night or uh, trying to stay off social media during race week which you know a lot of athletes tend to post it's you know Three days out till Abu Dhabi or Leeds or the grand final, excited to toe the line and empty the tank. Those sort of like cliche captions that 
it come up on everyone's feed and you're like, shoot, like, am I ready? And then the doubt comes in. So like canceling all that. So this mindset uh, or this able to discern this mindset of like when you showed up at the race, you were either in the the good mindset or the bad mindset. Do you feel like you had this pattern where you were like recognizing like, oh, I'm in a, I'm not in a great mindset. And then therefore there was almost this subconscious decision. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to make what I want today. Absolutely. I, so I can remember, I can remember like I had a string of podiums two years ago going into Australia, Malulaba and New Plymouth where I finished second and third. And I was just in a good place. I was, I was happy training. I was, I wasn't stressed. And then uh, Bermuda last year, I was in a dark place. This is a perfect example where I'm calling my coach five days before the race. I'm saying, I don't want to be here. The pressure of the Olympics, like there's, when there's pressure and when, when it's, when it's so overwhelming and you start to stress at that extent where you're like not having fun. Yes, this is a job, but you need to have fun in order to succeed and you need to be like in a good place. And I called my coach and I said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be racing. And I made it to the line and I jumped in and I had a terrible race, but my energy was zapped before I even got to the line from just worrying every day and then losing sleep and then being on social media and and not meditating. And and we can go more into meditation because that's, that's another thing that just journaling and meditating and, and that whole thing has been huge. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd be interested in hearing more about that. Yeah, it's it's simple. Um, I I think it's simple. S- simple it, is you know, always I, simple is profound. Yeah. Simple is profound. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to master it a little bit better, but uh, the less I can think about, I think the better the session is in terms of meditation. And uh, so we started out. Caroline was like, "Okay, just start out with like ten minutes, five to ten minutes every day." So we started with race week, meditation every day of race week. And so I do 10 minutes in the middle of my room. I do Indian style sitting. So you want to sit up straight. And it's funny. She was like, okay, you don't want to be too relaxed. You don't want to lay on your bed and feel sleepy. And you kind of want to feel uncomfortable. Like when you're sitting Indian style, I don't know about you guys, but when I sit Indian style with my back straight up for 10 minutes, like that's not normal for me. And I just want to like lay down immediately. So my back is kind of like, you have to engage your core a little bit and you're like kind of uncomfortable. So you're thinking about that. And, and then I go into breathing really deep in through the nose, just kind of, and then out through the, the mouth and really deep breaths, focusing on my breathing, not counting. I used to count, but now focusing on every inhale and exhale and being so present that like anything that starts to creep in, you kind of, I tend to blow on my exhale, I blow those thoughts out away and they, they'll keep coming in the 10 minutes. I get different thoughts, especially race week when, you know, you think about this, this guy or, you know, my training partner or points, all those things that come in. I, I just like, as they start to creep into my mind, I try to like blow them out and we, we say, uh, my, my sports psychologist who say we like blow it out into, uh, into the clouds. So I put it on a cloud and I, I send it off something super simple, maybe sound, maybe sounds a little, um, dumb, but it, it works. 
and and to me it's important to stay present and just 10 minutes of being present can give me i think can give everyone so much energy when you're under like super high pressure and i think that goes into what we were talking about earlier is like with the coronavirus and the race is not happening and all this sort of uh, panic that's going on like meditation could probably have a huge impact on people but it's hard it's hard if people say it's hard to you make make time for you know 10 minutes so te- it's just 10 minutes right it's simply 10 minutes and you're a high level athlete and people that are highly motivated they they get into this realm of like, okay, I got this now. I want to do more. I want to do 30 minutes and then 40 minutes and go up to an hour. How do you stay, how do you stay focused on the process? Like, it's just like 10 minutes. If I want to go longer, I can, but I, but I'm making sure every day that I get 10 minutes in. So how do you, how do you navigate that? Not wanting to take your athletic prowess into it of like, you can do anything, right? So longer must be better. How do you, how do you pull it back to like the consistent practices? What's paying off? For sure. I actually have issues with going over 10 minutes, but this is, this is all like personal stuff because like I have ADHD. It's a little bit harder for me. You can imagine like my mind's just racing so fast all the time that 10 minutes is like I'm maxed out and I got to set the alarm. When the alarm goes, I'm like, bam, I got to get on, on the bike or eat some food or what I'm onto the next thing. So for me, sometimes it's like five minutes. Sometimes like if I'm traveling, it might be just like three minutes, like whatever it takes to like be present and feel like I, I took the time to like reset my mind, you know? So that trumps any, so basically that trumps anything going longer, like to get your consistent, get something in every day, whatever it is, as long as you can feel that presence, then you've, then you've moved yourself forward. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think there's, there might be other forms of, meditation like i'm sure you guys know of other types of meditation other than just like sitting and focusing on breathing i'm not an expert this is something that works for me but i'm not i'm not like uh religious about the time spent i just think it's about like the quality of the more you can be present the better in life like just (laughs) i mean that's that's kind of obvious but well uh, it's 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 cliche yeah but it's it's so gla- it's so um it's forgotten. Like the pre- the present yeah. to be present is the only time that we're 100% available to be our best at at in that moment. That's it. And so I say to my athletes like I don't I don't care if you I don't care if it's an hour and I don't care if it's two breaths. Do it every day. Yeah. Do it every day. Commit to sit every day. Every single day you make such an impact on being the master of your mind as opposed to the servant. Like the mind makes an incredible servant and a terrible, terrible master. And we've, anyone who is uh, brought to meditation and starts practicing meditation realizes what a terrible master the mind is when it's left untamed. So the simplicity, you know, BJ and I work with a teacher who's just really trained in to these verbal teachings that have been taught down for centuries, really, like the lineage of our teaching. And I can tell you, Matt, it's very simple. And it always starts with breath because the breath is happening right now. So the breath is presence. And the simplicity of it is so incredibly important because we need to de-excite the mind. And that's where the simplicity is so profound because the mind wants to control everything and it will want to control your meditations too. So 
when I, when somebody will come to me and they say, well, I've been doing guided meditations and sometimes I do this and sometimes I do that and sometimes I do this. And so I'm always like, whoa, we're going to do one thing and you're going to do it every day. And I don't care if it's two minutes or 20 minutes, but we've got to start reeling that thing in because it likes, it likes the drama of race week. It likes you being on social media the night before a race going, oh my God, you know, and introducing doubt. So we got to let that little bugger know that it's not in charge and that we'll let it, we will let it know when it's dismissed. Like we're going to sit and we're going to be still and it's going to be for this amount of time, two minutes, 10 minutes, doesn't matter, but you're in charge. Like Matt's in charge, not the mind. And it's just magnificent to, to hear and, you know, it's so perfectly has been lived out in your experience because as soon as you started doing it, things changed. But I also want to make a point that, you know, it's like eating plant-based, right? It's like just because if you eat plant-based doesn't mean you're not going to get a cold. Just because you meditate doesn't mean that you're going to have a crash in Edmonton, right? Like, and so you were all, were you, you were already meditating at that time? So yeah, it's funny how that worked. It was like, I went to the sports psychologist. I got the result. I stopped talking to her. And, and as soon as I stopped talking to her, it was like a string of bad results. And then I started talking to her again. And then I went on to the three-peat of three wins. So going into Edmonton, that's a whole nother story. When I was in Edmonton, WTS, for those who know, World Triathlon Series, I was on the second or third bike of the uh, lap of the bike and an athlete pulled off on the inside and I was kind of crossing his wheel and we were going through a right turn and he pulled off on the inside. So my wheel went straight into the curb, which uh, launched me about eight feet off my bike onto the curb. And then uh, just uh, absolute hamburger helper on the side of my right arm. And uh, I was bleeding really bad. My, my elbow was like the size of a football and I knew I broke it. Like, I slammed really hard and I grew up skating. I grew up surfing. I grew up BMXing and I've broken my arm before. I had like compound fracture in my right arm. I mean, it, it was the same sort of deal. Like I could see it was broken. I was like, Oh shit. It's like full on broken. And I just started bawling. There was the part of me was in pain. And the part of me was realizing that like, I probably wasn't going to get enough points the rest of the season to like qualify for the Olympics. And, I keep mentioning the Olympics, but like it means so much to me to make the Olympics and be there. And that's that everything just started crumbling down on me. And like in that moment, I was just bawling and my coach ran up to me and he's like, it's going to be okay. Like you have enough time to get the points to qualify. You need to just be there on May 20th, whenever Yokohama is, get a top eight, be top American and you'll go. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, so, okay, I had this realization. I'm like, okay, it's okay in terms of points. Now I'm looking at my arm, I'm still in pain. And so we went to the hospital, I got an x-ray, it's broken. There's a fracture right through my fibular head. And that was it. I was like, well, my season's over. It's going to be, you know, six to eight weeks of doing nothing. And then the races are... I just won't have enough time to come back for those end of the year World Cups. So, okay, it's going to be a long road. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty spiritual and I'm also religious. And so I always tell people, depending on who I talk to, 
I share the story, but I did have a lot of people praying for me. I think at, at that time, over the next four days, I went home and just was around a lot of my uh, friends and family. And a lot, I just had a lot of people like praying for me. And four days later, I got an x-ray and then it was gone. And depending on what you believe in and depending on who I talk to, I tend to not share it too, too much on social media. But I, in my, like, I would like to believe that God healed my arm in four days. There's also the argument that Canadian x-ray machine was, you know, uh, misread or, or whatever. So went home four days later, got the x-ray. I'm good to go. I'm psyched. They gave me the approval to swim. I'm in the pool within six days. Two weeks later, I'm at the Olympic test event. And then I started speaking to my sports psychologist that week and I got 15th. So without swimming much, I ended up getting 15th at the Olympic test event. And I was in a good mental space, but then I stopped talking to her again for some reason for like the next month. And I went into the grand final in Switzerland and just got completely destroyed, both mentally and physically. <laughs> Dude, do you see? What roller you coaster? The, yeah. <laughs> do you see like the pattern yep. of like when I don't talk to my sports psychologist and when I do? And I don't necessarily want to rely on her. Because I want to be able to do these things on my own. But those those races that I did well, I mean, at that point, I'd only talked to her maybe four times. Yeah. We were just getting started on this whole mindset process. Yeah. It's these these one on one sessions are so are so important. I just started working with an athlete who had been in like a group setting with me for a while, but we started working one on one. And it's just it changes everything. BJ and I were just talking about this the other day. It's like we've seen this so many times when you start to get what you need and you start to feed what it is that's going to take you, you know, help you create the momentum in the direction you want to go. A lot of people will walk away. Right. And then, but then something. So can you look back on that crash and see value in Edmonton? Are you at that? Like, can you, yeah. can you see it? Could you have, could you have a, a zoomed out perspective and you can see value for where it took you? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, for sure. Like maybe right now I can't think of it. All of the reasons how I learned from that experience, I know for a fact that made me appreciate having the ability to race and be healthy. I think at, at times where I, you know, I might have a crappy workout last week and then I start to like really get bummed out that over one workout for like 10 days that like at least I'm healthy and I'm fit and like let's move on like when you're injured there's and, and something's broken it seems like the the end of the world and so for me though I think when I when I had the conversation with my sports psychologist we were able to like pinpoint kind of more about myself and I we don't we don't like to put anyone or put myself into a box but I'm I'm a little more edgy than most triathletes in the sense that I really have an outlet to go to other than like just hyper-focused on like triathlon all the time. So like surfing is such a big outlet for me. And like I have such a solid group of friends at home home who like talk to me on a daily basis. Like I'm on a four-way phone call like for an hour every morning just like talking about the surf, like home, every how everyone's doing. And then I have like my fiance who knows 
who doesn't know much about triathlon. She's learning, but she, we don't talk about triathlon. We talk about her work. We talk about her families. And, and so I'm able to like completely disconnect. And so during that crash, it also made me realize like when triathlon is done, I'm going to be such, so addicted to surfing. I'll probably take it too serious. And I'm going to be such a better friend and I'm going to be such a better husband in the future that like, I'm going to be able to like turn off and, and uh, have all these outlets, you know, and I'm really into like skating, like skateboarding. I grew up skateboarding. and I like other things. I like art and, you know, I'm religious. I'm a Christian. That's something that I haven't voiced in uh, on social media or social media or any sort of platform because I, I don't want people to put me in a box. Yeah. You know, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan. It's like, I, I haven't really promoted that either. I haven't put plant-based on my bio because I don't want people to, to, uh, to put me in a box. Like this vegan Christian surfer skateboarder guy. It's like, <laughs> no, but like, but then if you look at like my Instagram, it's like, oh, this guy's like a professional triathlete sponsored by this. And he's kind of funny. Whatever it takes is his motto, you know, like, there's more to me than just like what maybe the typical triathlete might be like. That's what I learned from the crash. Being myself and through mindset, like, uh, you know, it's definitely ruffled a couple feathers and people don't necessarily like it because I'm a little more edgy. I'm different. Yeah. That, You're well, you. That's what, I, that's what I love about you, Matt. Yeah. And we can say like, well, I don't care what other people think, but we're we're we are we are humans like we we have these kind of these needs to be loved how does it feel when you ruffle the feathers of somebody else or perhaps they have words to say about you that you know maybe you're not doing things right how do you how do you navigate that because that's like that goes along with the territory of of living on the edge and pushing the boundaries and living against the grain surfing surfing is like against the grain Growing up in Huntington Beach in high school, like I was part of the surf team. We were outcasts. Like we weren't jocks. I didn't want to label myself as a track and field athlete. I wanted to be a surfer and we were kind of rebellious. Not extreme, but we just didn't go to social events. We didn't want to be with the cool crowd. We thought we were cool. So I'm used to it, but at the same time, when you're at a like a professional level and you want to be accepted by a community, you have to kind of reflect on like certain situations and be like, you know what, like, I'm in the right, who cares what they're saying. And so like, it takes me, it's going to take me time, I'm still learning how to deal with it. Like definitely talk to my psychologist trying to decompress those moments where like, I just need to like, let it go and be like, I'm better. Like that person's insecure. I need to be better at, you know, not reacting with emotion. And, and I say that, but I probably will in the future, I'm probably going to do that. I need to be better at that. People deal with that every day. People deal with that at at a normal job, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough because really to let it go, we got to we got to feel it. Like we got to just sit with it and yeah. we got to be and we got to practice what I've found as a recipe is just practice being calm, connect with my breath when all that kind of that feeling comes up and then you got all those thoughts about like how you're going to, you know, make them wrong or you or they're, you know, you're yeah. right. And, and none of it, and none of it helps the situation. And so it's really, that's like the path of the warriors to just, is to just sit, to sit in it, to sit in it and, and it will pass. Like it will pass. And just, like I said in this intro, like never dim your light for anybody. And the thing is, is that not everybody wants to see 
to see your light and to see, you know, that you stake claim on goals and you do everything like you, you find a way to do everything to set yourself up for success. And I think there's many more people out there that really need to hear your message and really need to hear your voice. I had a situation recently that made me kind of feel like, well, maybe I should just stop pushing the boundaries and maybe I should just stay safe. And, and like in an instant, somebody had reached out to me and said, we need to keep hearing your voice. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a message, right? Like we got to keep, we got to keep going because we're the ones that's going to give permission to people to, to live in their truth and to go after what they dream of. And it's, it's bold. It's a bold way to live, but there's plenty of us doing it out there. So we need you, Matt. Keep, keep pushing those boundaries, buddy. Always. For sure. As I grow as an athlete and as I, as my platform kind of becomes bigger, you know, hopefully I'm able to share more of maybe my story and, and uh, some of the experiences I've had and, things that I go through on a daily basis with uh, some of the characteristics of, you know, like I mentioned, being plant-based, being uh, religious, you know, being a little more edgy in my opinion, being a surfer, wanting to have kids and wanting to have a family and, and still be one of the best triathletes in the world. And, but also dealing with emotional, the emotional struggle with people on a daily basis, you know, the stress of uh, social media and all the, all those things. Yeah, that I can share that. And I'm, I'm, I want it to be organic. And maybe it'll be a vlog, maybe it'll be a podcast. You know, it's, it's, it's all in the back of my head. Right now, I just really am, am focused on the Olympics and, and focused on like, being the best athlete I can be for the next at least year. And then I'll decide where I want to, where I want to express some of that on what platform. Yeah, and, I, I think that's beautiful, Matt. Like, keep keep going, keep going, man. And everything you listed, you can have it all. You can have it all. Yeah. Right. Our first reaction is to be like, "Well, if I get fifty percent of that, I'll be doing pretty good." But you can have it all, and I think that's that's the mindset you're in right now. Like, you can have everything you want. It's it's do you want it, and and can you can you attune to whatever that vibration is to to keep yourself moving forward? And that takes that takes a lot of momentum. Matt, like a lot, you got to keep that momentum going. And you talked just recently, or I think a couple months ago on a podcast about getting out the door, even for like 10 or 15 minutes to, to keep that, to run that running momentum going. So how important is momentum to you? How, how, how much does that drive you to keep your goals alive for the Olympics? Yeah, that's, I mean, momentum is everything. My momentum has been so consistent over the last I mean, two years, I haven't noticed a day where I wake up and I, I tell myself, like, I don't want to work out. I just don't want to be doing this. And if I do feel that, it's changed because I did just, like, put running shoes on and, like, went outside and started walking, which turned into a run, right? So, yes, it happens. Some days you wake up and you don't want to go run or you don't want to go to the pool. And you literally just have to, like, tell yourself to jump in the water. And then when you hit the water, it's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do 5K. I'll just, I feel great. You know, it's like being, it's like getting to the line. And as soon as the start gun goes off, like everything, all the stress stops. It's like, okay, finally I can race. You know, it's like this weird thing of like, just start that momentum. I think we're all, we all struggle with that on a daily basis. Some days are easier than others, especially now. I mean, we can go into this, like 
the coronavirus is coming up and I don't know if you guys wanted to talk about this, but like all my races have been canceled for a while, um, which is going to affect the Olympic qualification. And so I had all these races coming up. I was in peak fitness. I'm still in peak fitness and you can only maintain that for so long. So now what do we do? We have to adapt to it, but you know, it's kind of like, where do we go? And there's this uncertainty, but I'm still going to show up. And I still did a 90 minute run this morning. I was talking to you guys. I closed in like a five fifteen mile. <laughs> um, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing my job because this is going to, this is going to roll through. It's going to affect some people, but like, we're still going to race. The Olympics are probably most likely going to happen. And I need to be ready. You know, I need to be ready for the summer and keep grinding. So, but like, I don't know when I'm going to race. So. so it's not an opportunity. <laughs> so this would be the perfect opportunity to be like, well, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off because, you know, I probably won't race for a while and I deserve it. And, and I need, I need some downtime and just to disconnect from things. Or you can take it as everybody out there is going to be ready when this thing goes off. So I need to be ready myself and do everything yeah. possible to put myself in a position to be that number one person there on the start line. And when the Olympics come around. Exactly. Consistency. I was telling my buddy, I was in the car with him. He, he was on the treadmill with me. He's like, so do you run, do you run every day? And I was like, yeah, I run every day. He's like, so you just go out even if like it's 20 or 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'll run, I'll run 30 minutes like twice a week or 20 minutes if, if I'm feeling terrible. And he's like, yeah, yeah. What, why do you do that? And there, obviously there's like muscle memory and there's, everyone has their own opinion on like the science behind it. But I, I kind of use this example and maybe it sounds dumb, but like if I think back to like when I first learned how to write cursive, like if you wrote cursive every day, you'd be pretty good. But then I stopped writing and then I wasn't as good. If you were to write cursive for 10 years every day, you'd probably be pretty good at it. If not, you'd be an expert. So if you're able to do that with your hand and like writing, you can do that with your legs. You know, it's like this whole neuromuscular thing. Like, the more you do something, the better you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, and it's, yeah, the consistency is, is everything. And, and we're always creating momentum. So it can go in either direction. It can, it can go in the direction of our dreams. Or we can say, oh, I'm just going to kick back. My race got canceled. I'm not going to. And then it, the momentum can start to go in that direction that we don't want it to go. And now we got to harness that. And we got to build that energy back up. And we got to get that momentum going. And I saw it with BJ this weekend. He was supposed to have a race. And it got canceled. And he was like, all right, well. And he starts setting up the bike. And he's getting the kicker out. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go like head on like here we go now I'm gonna put in a good bike today because I was you know starting to get yeah, ready awesome. for the race and and yeah I mean it's just what I want the message that I want everybody to hear is is that you know at the tippity top level of of sport like I've I've heard you go out for a five minute run before like when you get into a hotel late at night just to keep that momentum going and that no matter where you are in your sport, at your level, if it's your hobby or your career, that the momentum towards your dreams is everything and you have ev the choices that you make have everything to do with getting you to those dreams. Yeah. And it's like an addiction. It's like this healthy addiction that once it becomes a habit, it like, it's easier to do, right? So, so take another addiction that might be unhealthy and make it, you know, make it a healthy addiction, like running or swimming or biking or surfing, whatever. Yeah. You, you know, it's, we hear a lot about like addiction, addiction of this, addiction of that, bad addiction. 
But aren't we all addicts? Like, aren't we all addicted to yeah. our thoughts? Aren't we all addicted? Yeah. And that's where I think the mindset training comes in is we got to start to create a space between where all that commentary is and a space so that we can make some choices in, in a calm, conscious state uh, to move forward. So looking back at 2019, I mean, you had some super highs, you had some super lows. Like, what are, what's one of the most memorable moments for you? I mean, leads for sure. Like, I mean, that was pretty historical for US, USA triathlon. Um, can you can you tell us why? Yeah, I mean, why that was historical? Um, the race. I mean, let's like. I even want to like tell you guys about the race so you understand why it's historical. Like this, the guy I got the sports psychologist went into the race, had the best swim of my life. I'm in the front pack and I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, things are going really good, and. I've never been in a race where like things were going my way all the time during that race. Yeah. I, I got stuck at the back of the front pack and it was probably harder to ride. So that was challenging. But when I came off the bike and I, I was in like 23rd place, it was a big pack and I took off into the first K and then I, I found myself in the top 10 feeling really good. I was like, I was like, holy cow today. I'm going to like get on the podium at a WTS. Like I knew within a K of the race like that's the sort of confidence i have in my run ability and and i my running is getting so much better than it was when i was a 28 32 10k runner in college like like it's getting so my workouts and my work ethic and my mindset everything is just like so much better i'm older now and when i got when i get to the run sometimes and i'm at the front especially in that race i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna take these guys all out Jake Bertwistle, who ended up winning, took a really risky move with about a K to go. And I, I didn't want to go with him because I was just like, I need I, I need to do whatever it takes to be on the podium. And I don't want to risk blowing up and going with him. So I sat back. I was on Gomez, uh, Javier Gomez's feet with a K to go. And I knew I could outkick him. I've watched enough videos of Javier getting outkicked to know that it's... N- he doesn't have the leg speed. So I was like, oh, I'm going to scalp him. I'm going to scalp him <laughs> with 100 meters to go. I'm going to wait. And as soon as he let up on the hill, I just like went to the arms, passed him, and uh, and I finished the race in second. But like immediately when I finished, I just I like was full on crying. And I've never finished race crying other than when my team – got second at NCAAs in, in college at Northern Arizona. But that was more like in college, it was excitement of, that the team did it. And it was like a brotherhood. This was more like I knew everyone at home and everyone who's worked with me and my coach, we were, we were all crying together. And so like that experience to me, was more about the team winning, you know, and was more emotional to, to share that, accomplishment with my coach and I knew like as soon as I called my parents they were crying my fiance was crying and you know I Jared Shoemaker was the last person to do it 10 years ago for USA triathlon and I'm the first since so you know I I think that showed showed me what I'm capable of doing and I'm excited to get in that same situation and I, I'm going to continue to work my ass off so that like I can get as close to like doing that or winning a WTS as soon as possible. <laughs> so awesome. And 
We just actually, before we get on the phone with you, I was like, BJ, can you pull up that finish I, I've already, when he, I've already when seen he out kicks <laughs> like Javi? And it's just amazing because it's like you, you guys, you and Javier are like, you know, you're, you're together. And then the camera goes to like Jake, who's coming through the finish line. And then you just see you coming onto that blue carpet. And I'm like, oh my God, I just had chills all over my body. It was so amazing. Yeah. To see that, to to know a little bit behind the scenes of who you are and how much work that you've put in. But also, I think one of the things that probably makes you edgy, Matt, is that you have a belief in yourself and a confidence in yourself, which I think is really brave to show. And you need to keep showing it because it's that's where that's what's going to help you get to where you are and you know and not so much of like you always chasing your dreams, but like they're going to start running towards you, you know, momentum works in both directions. Do you want to say anything more about these World Cup races? Yeah, I think you, you, the nail that you just ripped off like three. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. This, I just want to like, t- you know, frost the cake again and again and again on the t- and it was like bang, 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 and you you had the fastest run splits for those three races, and I was following it, and like after you did the first one, I was like, okay, he's legit for that second one. You got the second one, I'm like, well, I'm not even gonna watch the third because he's got this moment. I could feel it just from watching these races, and I watch this stuff a lot, like I probably like you do like i really get entrenched in it in the strategy and you you ripped off that third one and it's like coming off with that with that momentum so strong do you, can you still do you have a do you, have, do you still have a feeling of that like that was in a, a 30 day span do you have like is that still like locked inside you can you tap into that for sure i don't think it's as powerful because the last three races when i stepped on the line like I knew I was going to win those three. I knew I was going to win the first race when I stepped on the line. As soon as I got done with the first race, I knew I was going to win the second one. I like, I finished the first race and I was like, Oh, next weekend's in the bag. <laughs> like I'm going to go out there. And I, I mean, everyone's in that was in this race is going to be there next weekend. So I'm just going to do the same thing. And then San Domingo was like, I'm great in the heat. I'm really good at racing in the heat. So like people who aren't good in the heat are going to explode. You know, I'm just going to, I'm going to get my nutrition dialed. And that's one thing that I know for a fact, ITU when it's hot, a lot of guys are underprepared, you know, on the nutrition aspect. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to nail it on the bike. I'm going to take two gels uh, at the 20 minute mark and the 40 minute mark. And then I'm going to have one on the run and, if I'm feeling terrible, 5K, I'll slam the gel. Like, I had it all planned out more so than in the past, for sure. Now that it's a new year, I think uh, because they were World Cups, you know, a lot of the top guys in the world weren't there. I'm, I'm, I'm realistic. Uh, and these next few races are going to be more competitive than the Olympics. People are going to be peaking for these next couple races that we have coming up. So am I, I'm just going to, you know, as the competition elevates, I I need to get better. And I believe I'm also going to elevate with my performance. So at the same time, there's plenty of doubt that comes along the way. Don't forget that. And and that's why I think, you know, having a sports psychologist now, I'm never going to, as long as I'm competing as an athlete, I will always have a sports psychologist. That is something that is, you know, I don't care how much it costs. It's, you have to have it. Yeah. It's, you want to be the best. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's invaluable. It's invaluable. Yeah, um, exactly. And, you know, to go back to something we were saying right at the beginning, like these these ancient spiritual teachings is the the inner war is the one that we all must wage in order to really realize how powerful we are as beings. To walk this path alone is insanity. Like to have a teacher, to have a a guide along the way like Caroline is is serving for you it's essential really to success because the mind is so freaking tricky and you need that outside perspective that zoomed out perspective to kind of be okay like you're you're getting on the rumble Mm -hmm. strip you know like come on back over into the lane so uh yeah and um being a vegan athlete and traveling all over the world uh how have you like how do you find it's been keeping your your nutrition like where it needs to be and and feeling good in your body yeah i was in south africa for two months and it was cool because like there's there's super big meat eaters but i was able to find like the local restaurant that has like the best vegan menu ever like hands down the best other than your guys's vegan pizza (laughs) they had the best they had they, they had the best vegan pizza and it was like I was awesome. They had plenty of alternatives. Uh, when I was in Asia, all you know, I was in Asia for two week, three, two or three weeks last year with those races in Tongyang and Miyazaki, South Korea and Japan. All I ate was rice and fruit for two weeks, and I had tons of energy. Uh, oh, rice, fruit, avocado. I was fine. I, the muscle glycogen was just through the roof. I had so much energy. So nutrition wise, like I've gone to the point where like I think. I know when I'm lacking something like if I'm just eating muscle, like if I muscle glycogen, like pounding rice, fruit, sugar, you know, like that, that maybe after like a month, I probably got to throw some beans in there. Like I'll feel that. Like I, I need a source of protein, you know, not as much as they recommend probably like probably for elite athletes, but you, you do need a little bit. And so, you know, adding, finding beans is, is not that hard. I haven't really struggled. The only time I struggle is when I get on a flight and I uh, forget to order a vegan option and I got to improvise. But normally I pack like tons of nuts and I'll pack like a, oh, the best thing for flying is like a cup of noodle, like from Trader Joe's where you just add your water and you just ask for hot water. So I'll, I'll throw like four cups of noodles in my backpack. And it'll be set with carbs. <laughs> yeah, you know, because so. you fly a lot, you know, meditating at high elevations is actually really, really good because you're in the more subtle energies, right? Which are those higher frequencies of calmness and all this, these good high vibrations that you want um, to be tapping into. That, that's the essence of, of who we are, these like, you know, these miraculous energies. And as we get higher in the sky, out of the density of like the gravity pull, the gravitational pull, like as we sit right now, 35,000 feet up above, you're more apt to go a little bit deeper in meditation. So I encourage you to meditate when you fly and go a little bit longer. Yeah, definitely. Because there's there's not much else to do up in the (laughs) plane other than watch movies and try to stretch in the the hallway. That's interesting. Cool. Yeah, man. Have to try that. I do. I do. Um. I do take a uh, iron B12 supplement, Blood Builder. Do you know what that is? You can buy it at like Whole Foods. That's the only thing I supplement with. You know, I got a nutrition sponsor attack. They make like plant based protein, but I'm not like most of the time. I'm not like pounding protein shakes. I'm 
if I need calories, I'll probably I take it. But other than that, uh, I think diet wise, my fiance is plant based too, and she's just on top of it. You know, we're big Rich Roll fans. We're big uh, Brendan Brazier fans. Uh, you know, the Vega guy. So yeah, um, and also big fans of you guys. Uh, we follow everything you're doing. So. Oh, you're so sweet. Hey, congratulations on your upcoming you. marriage to Lindsay. We had the wonderful opportunity to have you guys over for dinner. I think last year. I think yeah, last year got to meet her and and have dinner with you guys. And it's just, I'm so excited for you. Like when oh man, coming off that crazy season, amazing success, and then talk about frosting you know, proposing to Lindsay. When did you know that you were going to do that? Oh, I knew I was going to propose to her after Leeds. I was like, well, after that paycheck, I can <laughs> finally afford her. Like, I wanted to get her a nice ring. And I was like, well, after that paycheck, like, I can I can get her a nice ring finally. You know, I didn't want to get something cheap for her because she's she's amazing. So that was the moment. And then after, I, I knew I wanted to wait till after the season just with everything going on, like, Buying a ring is a process. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> yep. And I had to be, I had to be home, and then I had to go to a jeweler, and I wanted to go to a couple different jewelers. So like, that's not something that just takes like one hour. You know, it takes like a week or two. Most guys, I probably spend like a couple months, maybe. Thankfully, I had like my mom helping me out, and we went to LA and got that figured out. So like, as soon as I got home, I was like booked into the ring store to to go pick one out and then as soon as I got the ring I proposed that day like I was like I need I need to do this because like again like there's not much time in this off season and like the next week I was going to Mexico on a surf trip it was like I had to I had a limited amount of time and it all worked out it was great. Yeah, we're so excited for you guys. So excited to see that news and to just keep following you and staying in touch. I'm assuming the the wedding will be post Olympics. Yes, uh, in November. Awesome. November seventh. Awesome. Yeah, we're in Cal in California. It's exciting. Very cool. Awesome. And you're moving to Boulder. You, I mean, you're here now. We, but have you made the official move? Yep. Yeah, we're we just got a couch <laughs> and. <laughs> We're we're all moved in. Um, you know, my mom and Lizzie drove up with all our stuff, and they decorated the whole place. So it's it's all girly, um, <laughs> but it's got some surf stuff to it. Got a couple surf posters, and yeah, it's nice. Oh, I just got Zwift, which is awesome. Zwift set me up with a Wahoo trainer, an iPad Pro, and it's gonna snow this next week. So I'm like, if 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 you're on Zwift. You gotta add me because I'm gonna be on this. I'm gonna be living on Zwift the next week. Awesome, especially living in Boulder. I love it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we'll be we'll probably be out there later this year, so we'll let you know. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, let me know. Yeah, you guys can stay. You guys can stay at our place if you need a place. So, oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> so nice. We'll make we'll make room. You're so sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thanks, Matt. Matt. We really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I will be following closely and always sending you just so much love, so much light, so much just amazing force for your life ahead. You have so much to look forward to. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast again. I'm excited to hopefully see you guys in the future and try some new recipes. Yeah.